Well, good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Well, today's chapter in our study of navigating the soul is an essential subject, but it's one that's often misunderstood. Today, we will be learning about the influence of demonic forces in their attack over the whole world. We will work through some foundational errors in common thinking on this subject and how it relates to mental health. And then we're going to conclude with applications from the most important passage in the New Testament for learning to arm ourselves for this spiritual battle. Thanks for joining us today as we evaluate the role of the forces of evil in our pursuit of navigating the soul. Well, as I've watched the snow melt this past week, I've seen that there are these piles from where the plow truck piled it up, right? All all of the shallow snow that melts off quickly and what's left are these icy piles and it reminds me of third grade. When I was in third grade, uh, the recess area was essentially a oversized parking lot to which the plow truck would push all of the snow into this mountain of a pile. And can you imagine what a bunch of third graders are gonna do with a mountain of snow? We're gonna play a little game called Uh, We called it Bloody Nose, but yes, yes, uh, King of the Mountain, that's right. And uh, the the goal was you would scramble to the top, which felt like you were climbing Mount Everest when you were a third grader. It was just an enormous pile of snow. And to be up on the top was to be King of the Mountain. And you could, if you were sneaky, you'd climb up behind the guy and you'd grab his hood and go, you'd pull him down like that so that you could be on top. It was a fantastic game. Loved it. Until, until the fifth graders got involved. The fifth graders were over on the other side, and they would see us third graders having a good time, and then they would recognize their advantage, and so they would make their way over and completely dominate all of us. And at that point, it was, it was hopeless, it was worthless, because they would stand up there flexing their muscles, right, in all of their might and strength, and there was no chance you could get to the top again. If this mountain of snow could be a picture of the the pinnacle of mental health in your life, in my life, then what we need to know is that there is a scramble. There is a mad dash to see who is going to be king. Who is going to rule on the pinnacle of my stability to have positive mental health that my soul would be resolve in glorifying the God. It is entirely a question as to who sits on top. In our world, uh, there is, by God's wisdom that I don't understand, the permissive will of God to allow the forces of evil to begin to scramble and claw at our souls, seeking to be the one at top who rules. But there's good news. There's very good news. Is that there is one who has traversed through death itself. He has come out the other side. And he's at the top of the mountain. Amen. Jesus has all power and authority. It's been given to him. And so... For you, the, the, the mountain of your soul, the, the seat of your will in your heart is entirely a question of 
who is, who is standing there? Because if it's you, I have bad news for you. If you are the one who stands ruling on the top of the mountain, uh, it's only a matter of time. You are going to be tossed down. And that will come through a myriad of ways. Measures from sin to influence of temptation to the lies of the evil one, the simple brokenness of this depraved life, you will not be able to stand. And it will be forever an attempt of trying to reach the top and fall down again and reach the top and fall down again until, until you place Jesus Christ, who has all power and authority, seated at the very top. And do you know what Jesus is able to do? You know what he's like? He's like a fifth grader. That's what Jesus is like. You, you know, you know, you get the metaphor, right? He's much better than a fifth grader, but he's, he is able to keep all, all of those who would scramble to the top. He's able to, able to keep them at bay. There is a spiritual battle that is going on. Can I say that again? There is a spiritual battle that is going on. Not physical. It's not seen. It's unseen. And there have been Christians, um, untold numbers of Christians, who both have had harm done to them and are doing harm to each other by making the mistake of thinking that it is a physical battle. That your battle is with each other, the people who we see. But it's not. It's not. There are forces at work that are causing the division and strife and anger and resentment that we find as that detriment on the hill that are coming from things unseen. Remember, it is a spiritual battle. And so we need to be equipped spiritually to fight and take up arms in this effort. Because it's a spiritual realm, We need to make sure that we are orienting our understanding of what is true based upon what God has said, not based upon our own experiences. This morning is a a difficult message. It's one that I want to give caution to because we are going to be studying demonic possession, demonic influences in the church. And I know that even as I say those words, there are probably some here today who are going to mishear what I will teach. Uh, Because it's so easy for us having been accustomed to a particular version or understanding that's derived from either our experiences or from misunderstandings of incredible superstition that's motivated by fear or even Hollywood. I, I, as I look around, I see everybody here is uh, old enough to know the names of movies like Exorcist and Poltergeist. Hopefully, uh, you know that's the kind of rubbish that you don't need in your life. But I would be willing to bet that some of our perceptions of demonic influence are not informed by God's word, but instead they've been informed by superstition. I could, if we had lots and lots of time, I could tell you stories of having encountered people who share with me the most ridiculous thoughts of uh, the devil's influence. When in fact, I think it has nothing to do with the devil. And there's something far more vile, far more insidious that goes undetected 
because what we have failed to do is equip ourselves spiritually. So this morning is going to be a necessary chapter in our study of navigating the soul because we would be remiss not to address the question of positive mental health, not to address the necessary work of learning to navigate our soul by ignoring the influence of evil. So that's what we're going to try to do today. We're going to look at the number one best passage in the New Testament. It's in Ephesians chapter 6. This is number one on the list to teach and instruct the church how best to equip ourselves to deal with the influence of the forces of evil. However, before we get there, we need to lay some groundwork like we've done every Sunday. We need to work on some definitions. And so for you following along in your sermon notes, I have a few errors that we need to correct. Uh, The first error that people have when they encounter the question of the forces of evil regarding demonic possession and influence is the error of redactionism. Much of my study has come from uh, this book called Counseling and the Demonic by Roger Buford. Um, And he shares this. uh, From antiquity, disturbances of behavior and conduct have been explained with religious terms. If somebody looked crazy from antiquity, the understanding was that was a demonic influence. Uh, They called it madness. He says, however, that with the rise of naturalism in the late 19th century, a dramatic dramatic shift has occurred, and the same phenomena came to be labeled simply as mental disorders and explained away in terms of simply natural causes. It, it, It was long ago... This is the problem of reductionism. It was long ago that people thought, well... It must be a spirit because we can't explain it. And with the rise of naturalism, the scientific method has now given us insight so that we understand this is, these aren't demons. This is just a chemical imbalance in your brain. That's all it is that's caused from a, a variety of explainable natural phenomena. Uh, There's another side to the problem of reductionism. I have a chart here to show you. So on two ends, one, we have naturalism. This says everything is simply uh, natural. On the other side is a charismatic error as well, where everything is the devil. The devil made me do it. I ate too many meatballs. Oh, the devil made me do it. Uh, I spent too much money at the store. The devil made me do it. Really, that was the devil? So uh, I want you to know this also is an error. Uh, The the mistake would be that we would say naturalism, it's just a um, a physical anomaly that you can resolve with medicine. Or charismatic error, meaning that everything that could potentially be off of the plan you have is the devil. And neither one are true. What we need is a balanced approach. And... This is going to require an effort on our part to make sure we understand the way the devil works. The devil is told to us in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, as an angel of light, he masquerades as an angel of light. Meaning he looks as though he is good, when in fact he's not. And that is because the devil is above all things a deceiver. 
this is a list of characteristics of demonic influence uh, that we can see uh, in studying God's word. Uh, everything from having supernatural knowledge to supernatural strength, um, being limited to hear or speak, um, having the presence of a different personality or a different voice. And on this side, you will see the natural, uh, naturalism explanations of other mental disorders. And do you know what we find? We find there's a lot of overlap between these. I would submit to you that this is actually the case that we are facing. Is not that everything can simply be explained away, that there is no supernatural realm. It's only a mental illness, but rather that the devil can very easily disguise mental illness as the reason for his attacks. There's overlap between these. We need to make sure that we haven't conflated them or erased them. To conflate them is to pursue naturalism. To erase them is to own only charismatic understanding for the devil's influence. And instead, we need to have a balanced approach. This again from Buford says, A balanced view recognizes that mental disorders and demon possession are distinct phenomena, though they may occur together and interact with one another. Everybody with me so far? We're on the same page with reductionism. Uh, You can't limit it down to one or the other. But what we must understand is that the devil has influence in a part of our being called our spirit. Which brings us to our second error, which is to mistakenly think that the devil only is involved in the spiritual. Demons and the evil one are only influencing the spiritual. This would be spiritism. And this is incorrect. And the way that we must understand this is that the devil actually, demons and their influence, have a measured experience of interaction in all three parts of our nature. It's a, not a duality of physical and spiritual. It's a triality. The devil is involved in three areas. And I, uh, I, I want to picture this for you to, to give you an idea of what this is. So it's a triality of influence based on the trichotomy of mankind. I don't want to lose you yet. You guys still with me on this? Let's go with the chart here. First of all, you have a body. That's what everybody sees, right? And then underneath your body, you have a personality. We call this your soul. This, this is what you and I are asking help for in navigating through the difficulty of this world. But below the soul, God has given the human creature and the human creature alone a capacity in, that is shared not with the rest of the created order, but with instead the spirits in heaven, the angels and those uh, that are characterized after God's own spirit. For we are made in three distinct Areas and functions, a body, a soul, and a spirit. Just for sake of time, we won't study the passages that teach this, but I have them up here on the screen in Hebrews and in the end of 1 Thessalonians. So here's the way I'd want to to think of it as we try to unpack this. Uh, Three areas of influence that the devil can interact with. For the body, we'll call it the physical. For the soul, we'll call it the psychological. And for the spirit, we'll call it the supernatural. Um, You might be able to already recognize in our study for navigating the soul, we've already made a differentiation between body and soul when it comes to 
the, um, uh, a presence of some type of uh, mental disorder. So if it happens physically, we call it organic. Right? So you could, you could have depression as a characteristic of your story, but it's not because you have sin in your life. It's because your thyroid might be a little bit goofed up. Right? That is an organic or a, a physical component that is leading to a difficulty in the complexity of your soul. And in the same way, you can have depression that's coming from, um, from something that is uh, more esoteric in your heart or in your mind, uh, dealing with struggle and strife and anxiety. And so that would be a measure of psychological. What we're saying today is that there is a third component that also can influence the experience of navigating the soul. And that comes supernaturally. By the way, this isn't only negative. Do you have the Spirit of God? Where does the Spirit of God fall on here? Supernatural. So, so God also brings us positive influence that affects the Spirit. But remember, it's the Spirit that then retrains the soul, that then redeems the body eventually. So this is, this is the path forward for us. So let's take an example of a particular effect of demonic influence. So being unable to speak, being mute. We'll see an example of that in a moment. Well, that could come from um, just a head injury. Right? You, you might be unable to speak because you have had some injury from your brain. Additionally, it could be a particular disorder of your mind. That has nothing to do with the body, but that's informed through hysteria in this case. The third, however, is also possible. It could be demonic influence. So which is it? Do we combine all these three? And I submit to you, no. What we need to make sure is, is we recognize sometimes the same disorder could be from three different areas. Let's do another one. Um, fierce or violent behavior. So one of the things that we see with demonic influence is these outbursts of anger or rage. Well, that could be simply a hormonal imbalance. In your mind, again, has nothing to do with the devil. Simply has to do with the physical. It could also be from a psychotic condition. And there was a whole long list of these, so I just put varied up here. But it could also be from demonic influence. Do you guys see the issue? Are, are you seeing the way in which... Um, there's some difficulty in navigating which of these is determined by the devil's influence. So I will, I'd like to bring us to some definitions for this. For the first one, when the devil has influence over the body, we call it physical oppression. This is where the forces of evil can influence the physical experience of individuals. Um, I'd like to give you uh, some examples of that. Uh, the first here from Job. You, might, you guys might know this story, right? Uh, Satan says to God, skin for skin, a man will give all he has for his own life. But now stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and his bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, he's in your hands, but you must spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Then Job took a piece of pottery and scraped himself and sat among the ashes. So who is responsible here for his physical oppression? It wasn't poison ivy, right? It wasn't that he stumbled into some bacteria-laden food, right? And No, this was the work of the evil one 
to oppress him physically. One, one example from the New Testament, uh, this, this story from Luke 13, Jesus then put his hands on her and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, there are there not six days to work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, you hypocrites. Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your donkey from the stall and lead out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? She, she had a physical healing. It wasn't a psychological problem. It wasn't, wasn't a, 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 an error in her spirit. It was in her body, and Jesus healed it. But who was responsible for the oppression? It was the evil one. So uh, that's, our fir- that's our first category for definitions. So now let's look at the psychological. How, can the, how does the evil one, and what term are we going to use for the interaction with our souls? And the, the term I'd like to give you is psychological influence. This is where the forces of e- evil can manipulate the mind. Give you some examples of what this looks like. Uh, from the Old Testament, again, you guys know the story of Saul. Saul, in embracing sin and rebellion against God, now has this verse, terrible verse for Saul. It says, now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. So once more, we see God's permission to allow the forces of evil now to bring, it's not physical harm for Saul, It's emotional distress. If you're familiar with the story, you'll remember uh, he calls a little shepherd boy to come in and play the harp. Does anyone remember the name of the shepherd boy? That's right. David comes and it's with music that suddenly Saul kind of, he can find relief from the torment. But what I want you to see is that it was the work of the evil one that's not affecting his body, but now it's influencing his soul. From the New Testament, you have this passage that Paul shares to the church in Corinth. He says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who's the image of God. Why do unbelievers go around blind? In their mind, it's the work of who? It's the work of Satan. It's the, it's the demonic influences that God allows to happen in the minds of unbelievers so that they in their hearts, they in their minds cannot see. So two categories, oppression, influence, and then the third we will call demonic possession. Possession is a controlling influence over both body and mind. Does everybody see how we're, how we're getting, how we're, how we're tracing these definitions forward? The, the first has to do with your body only. The second has to do with your mind only. But when we're talking about possession, now we're talking about not just an influence, but we're talking about a controlling influence that has authority over both your body and your mind. I want to show you some examples from Scripture. Um, this, these from the Gospel accounts. So this first one from Mark chapter 1. This is the demoniac at the synagogue in Capernaum. Uh, just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. 
the impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. Do you see the body and the mind both being controlled here with possession? The next one is the Gerardine demoniac from Matthew 8. When he arrived at the other side of the region of Gerardines, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God? They shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Again, so violent, they have possession over their body and control over their mind. Uh, The dumb man from Matthew 12, uh, dumb here being a reference to inability to speak. Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, could this be the son of David? Uh, This one's probably the best example. Um, Power over the body with inability to see and power over the mind with inability to speak. And Jesus comes and with possession frees both of these components of the nature. Uh, Just two more, the daughter of the Syrophoenician woman, the the Canaanite woman. Uh, Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon, a Canaanite woman, Gentile, came from that vicinity, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Then Jesus said to her, this is down in verse 28, Woman, you have great faith, your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. One last one, the demon-possessed boy, Matthew chapter 17. When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him, Lord, have mercy on my son. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied, how long will I stay with you? How long will I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of the boy and he was healed at that very moment. When we're looking at this category, this third category, we have to ask the question, what do all of these Examples in the Gospels share in common, and it is that they, the demon, shows a controlling influence over both their body and their minds. So the mistake that we, the error that needs to be corrected is to think that the devil's influence is only over the spiritual. The devil has been granted by God influence over the physical and the mental and the spiritual. It's a triality of influence. Everybody with me on this one? Um, There's two other things that I want to just say before we move on to the third on this. The first is that Christians cannot be possessed by demons. That's the first thing that I want you to see. So even in Saul's case, you'll, you'll recognize before the evil spirit could come and influence Saul to, to bring him distress, it says the spirit of God left, first of all. And you and I, we live, in, we live in the dispensation of grace whereby God's spirit comes to us as believers and God's spirit will never leave. Amen? That's really good news for us. Now, it, it doesn't mean that we won't be influenced. Now, being a Christian doesn't mean you'll be influ- you won't be influenced. In fact, Jesus, the son of God, was he influenced by demons? Do, do you remember the story where, the de- where Satan came to... Um, tempt him and other places where Jesus is described as having this great distress. 
So absolutely, uh, you can have influence, but what you cannot have is possession. A few verses on that to show us. Uh, This, I think, is the best from Luke's gospel. Jesus says, when an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and doesn't find it. And then it says, I'll return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself And they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse off than the first. So this is for an unbeliever. If in the vicinity of their soul, they have an evil spirit leave them, but they don't replace it with the spirit of God, what can happen? Seven more might come and attack you. So what this teaches us is that it is the occupancy of the top of the mountain, if you will, in your heart, by the Spirit of God that will prevent demonic possession from a Christian. This passage from 1 Corinthians 10, uh, Paul says, Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? Do I mean then that food sacrificed to an idol is anything or that an idol is anything? No, but the sacrifice of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And I don't want you to be participants with demons. This verse right here, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and... The cup of demons, too. You cannot have a part with the Lord's table and the table of demons. So if you belong to Jesus, demons have no ability to claim possession over you because God occupies your heart. One more. This one is a beautiful one from Romans 8. Paul says, no, in all these things, we Christians, believers, are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So are we on the same page with this? Christians cannot be possessed by demons. Um, However, they can be influenced. So th- this is our study this morning, is to equip ourselves to know how to handle that influence. Okay, lastly, the error, third error, is called secularism. Um, thinking that the devil's domain uh, is, is singular uh, with respect to our ability to, to, to unite. Where would we pledge our allegiance. And the reality is there isn't just one kingdom. There are two. There is the kingdom of God. And then there is the kingdom of the evil one. It is an imposter's rule. Let me explain that just for a moment. Uh, look at with me in this verse in Ephesians 2. Uh, Paul says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. When you followed the ways of this world... And of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Kingdom of the air. So there's another kingdom, according to Paul. This is the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So there is a, a kingdom by an imposter king. Satan, this evil one who has laid claim to God's throne, but he doesn't own it. And he has been given control over the domain of men on the earth. Um, this, this for the confidence that comes from the devil. Watch this from Luke chapter 4. Uh, the devil led him to a high place. This is Jesus. And showed him in an instant 
all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone who I want to. What kind of guts did the devil have? Do you, you see this? Just brashness for the devil to claim he has been given the authority over all of the kingdoms of the earth and he can give it to whoever he wants to. Of course, he says, if you worship me, it'll all be yours. This from Revelation chapter 12, speaking of the devil, the great dragon was hurled down. That's the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. What's the name that we call the devil's angels today? Demons. And so they now inhabit the earth. Not physically, we, we live physically, but we also live spiritually. And they are spirit beings, the, the rulers of the kingdom of the air, to cast influencing uh, turmoil over those who belong to God. And so we need to make sure that we recognize there are in fact two kingdoms. Uh, there's a kingdom of God, and then there is the kingdom of the evil one. Are you guys with me on these? Are we, are we tracking so far on all this? Because th- these are the foundations that we need to build upon as we want to understand what God's word has to say to us. I, I want to share just one last thing before we dive into Ephesians. And I want to thank you for your patience this morning. Uh, the, the last thing I want to share with you are the tactics of the evil one. Uh, first of all, the devil uses subtlety and desensitization. Uh, the evil one is very subtle. And he has worked to desensitize you to his influence. Uh, there's, there's at least 10 minutes worth I'd like to preach on this, but I'll just ask one single question. Can you um, envision uh, the world that we live in and its immorality simply seen in television compared to what it was 50 years ago? No longer are people shocked by what they see because now it's so prevalent. We're just used to it. You have been desensitized to the devil's work. And what this means is all of us are influenced by the devil. It's just for most of us, we have, we've lost our sense of um, uh, ability to recognize it. Uh, secondly, demons are vultures. They are opportunists and cowards. Uh, here, here's what I mean by that. Do uh, you guys know what a vulture is? Yeah. V- vultures don't hunt. Do you know what they do? They just wait Till they can find death. That's all they do. That's what demons are like. And this is why this is a, this is a gr- grave warning for all of us. He, he, hear me now. If, if you haven't been tracking so far, li- listen to me for this one point. If in your life you are dabbling in evil, if in your life you are permitting sin that goes unconfessed, if in your life you're confusing your purpose for the glory of yourself, Do you know what I see right above you? Do you know what's up there circling? The vultures. Because you are leading yourself towards death. And that is going to incur for you a greater susceptibility to demonic influence. They are vultures. They are opportunists. But thankfully, the word of God teaches us they are also cowards. And what that means is, At any point in your life that you sense uh, spiritual oppression or the forces of evil bringing influence in your life, the Bible gives us instruction, and we're going to look at that in a moment, to resist. You're to resist. 
and the devil will get tired of it because he's a coward and he knows he doesn't have authority. All of it has been given to Jesus. So uh, that's the last thing that I wanted to share with you before we dive into Ephesians. So with that, will you just look with me very quickly? I'm going to move very fast through all of this Uh, in Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to read four short verses starting in verse 10. Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10. Paul says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand. I have five primary observations that I am entitling principles of spiritual warfare for us that come directly from this text. The first is this. You need to make Jesus the king of the mountain. If you, if you want to be equipped to go into battle, step Numero uno is you need to make Jesus the king of the mountain. Not you, not anybody else, not your family, not your pastor, not your friends. Jesus rules at the top in my heart and in my life. You, you heard it already from Bonnie this morning. Then Jesus came to him. This is after the resurrection. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. The way I like to think of this illustratively is with a wedding ring. If you're married, that that means physically here on this earth, who do I put first? I put my spouse first in my life. And I do so based upon, do you know what this represents? This represents a covenant. This represents a covenant. So even if she were to not uphold her end of the bargain, I have pledged to uphold mine. I want you to know that that's the same level of security that you can trust God with when you enter into a covenant with him because all authority on heaven and earth has been given to him. He's at the top. There is nothing, there is nothing that will be able to climb that snow pile and dethrone Jesus. So it starts there. I want you to see in the text where this shows up. Go with me again to verse 10. When Paul says to face the evil forces, he starts with strength found where? Strength from the Lord. Not not from you. Not try harder. Not read this little pamphlet book and you'll just be fine. No, the strength is sourced in Jesus alone. So that's number one. You guys with me? Good? Everybody good? Number two, you need to make ready your resistance. So notice here, you are told in verse 11 to put on the full armor of God. You need to put it on. Do you know what armor's purpose is? Armor is not an offensive weapon. It's defensive. The reason you put armor on is for protection, 
not for uh, swiftness of offense, but because you know that attacks are coming. And so the whole purpose of armor needs to be understood in the context of an embattlement. So if the king says, put on your armor, what should you do? I should probably put on my armor. And the reason is because you are going to be making a stand. You're going to be making a resistance. This passage from 1 Peter 5, Peter says to the church, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Just one note on this. If you've ever seen lions, uh, they will always take the weak animal first. Right? They will always look for the one that's either sick or dying or dead. That's the vulture nature of our enemy. Peter says, resist him. Resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. This from James 4. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. And so I want you to see from these two passages, the way in which you resist is by submitting to God and by drawing near to God. When I was coaching football, we, we ran a play called a screen. Do you guys know what a screen is? Screen is an awesome play. Quarterback drops back like he's going to throw, and then your, uh, your running back goes out like a blocker, but then turns, and the quarterback dumps the ball off to the running back whilst the line, watch this, lets the bad guys through. So it's a crazy play. You, you, you're you're going to block, but then you stop blocking. You actually let the enemy come in, and then they advance forward. The ball gets thrown to the running back, and do you know how the running back makes its way up the field? He stays right behind his blockers. I stay right behind him. The closer he is to the blockers, the further he gets down the field. You are called to make a resistance stand against the forces of evil. The way you do this is by staying close to Jesus. Thirdly, you need to make, you and I both need to make corrections for our military strategy. This one is critical for us. Look with me in the text once more in verse 12. He says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Church, listen to me as clearly as, as you can. The thing that you are so offended at by that person that's causing you turmoil, that's causing division, it's not them. It is a scheme of the evil one to work and be active, influencing their life to cause that division. Your fight is not against each other. Your fight is not against flesh and blood. It is against, look in the text, against the powers and the authorities of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. What this means is we need to make sure that we recalibrate where we put our attention to get into the fight. For example, if I eat too many meatballs, my pants get tight. And I get so angry at my pants. It's my pants' fault, right? right? It's, that's the problem. Hold on, time out. Is that the problem? That, that, that's just the part I feel, but that's not where the problem actually lies. You, you'll have the same thing with one another. You'll think that the other person is the problem, and they're not. 
That's like being mad at your belt or your pants. That's not where the problem lies. There's something below the surface. And below the surface is a scheming strategy of evil. And that's where we need to make corrections to our military strategy. Fourthly, we need to make spiritual armaments. Now, this is a whole nother sermon. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put pause on that. We'll come back to it another time if we study Ephesians. But if you read through the rest of chapter 6, you will see that Paul describes the armor. You've, raise your hand if you're familiar with this. The armor of God. I just got to, I want to see that most folks are familiar with this. The armor of God, listen to me now, it is not physical. Every one of the uh, emblems that are mentioned here are a spiritual component. So truth, I can't, I can't cut truth with a knife. It's spiritual. Righteousness, peace, faith, salvation. The, the, only, the only one, the sixth one that um, we actually can have a little bit more of a physical participation in is prayer. Praying through the Spirit, right? That, that's in there. But the thing that I want us to see is that when it comes time for you to armor up, it is a collection of effort in the spiritual realm. That's where you need to put your effort because that's the very place that will cause the devil to flee. Again, just for time moving forward here. Number five, lastly, make no opportunity for the infantry of vultures. If you want to be equipped to go into battle, you need to change some habits You need to make behavioral changes in your life that align with the Spirit of God and not with the flesh. Look with me once more. Last time in the text, verse 13, he says, Therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you will be able to stand. Some people need to uh, stop um, entertaining. Sin pride, anger, resentment, unforgiveness in their lives. Because what you are going to find if you have that is that the vultures will begin to gather. I'm telling you, it's far better for you and I to avoid even heading down that road at all. Make no opportunity for the vultures. This passage from the book of Hebrews He says, therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame will not be disabled, but be healed. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone, right? Because are they your enemy? Is your battle against them, flesh and blood? No. And to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. This means that we're quick to give grace. Be generous with grace. And then no bitter root grows up in you. By the way, that's the result of not being gracious. You will get bitterness in your soul. And then it will cause trouble and it will defile many. See to it that no one is sexually immoral or godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights to the oldest son. So, um, again, lots more could be said on this. Um, You guys are with me for the most part. I want to cover, however, just three short ways that you might be able to help a loved one that you sense is under some some physical oppression of evil or psychological influence from demons or even maybe being possessed so that in their body and in their mind, there's a controlling influence of evil. Number one, pray for them. Number one, pray for them. 
the story that I read here of the, uh, the inability of the disciples to cast out the demon, Jesus says to them, this kind can only come out by prayer, which was the case for all of them. What Jesus is trying to show is that when it comes to your ability to go to battle, you must begin with Jesus on the top of the mountain, right? And so prayer is the place where we begin because it shows our dependence on God. So if you have a loved one who you sense is undergoing attack, pray for them. Secondly, uh, make sure that you do not neglect the physical for the spiritual or the spiritual for the physical, but that you're recognizing the, the problem is that triality and they are made up of a body, soul, and a spirit. And so the evil one is going to have influence as much as he is able. But do you know the problem might be? Your, your teenager just might need better sleeping patterns, sleep, sleeping habits. And that'll help. Or maybe they just need a healthy meal. You, maybe there are ways that we can go about shooing away the vultures by addressing the wholeness of the individual who needs encouragement and hope. Lastly, and this is the critical one, you need to make sure that they become subjects of the kingdom of God. You need to lead them to make Jesus the king of the mountain. If you have a loved one who's undergoing influence from demonic influences, you will be of no lasting help in their life until they make Jesus their Lord, the king in their heart and in their life. And then for those of us here who seek to find mental health, a strategy that gives us wholeness on this side of eternity, let your heart just picture Jesus on the top of that snowbank, right? How awesome is that? All authority he has and you are protected. Let's pray this morning.